the blue line, leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, J.J. Jerez. Of course, with me today, Arif Dean, to break down the series that was the Dallas Stars versus Colorado Avalanche. Heartbreaking series, it indeed. Um, you know, the dust has kind of settled. It's been a few days. I think it's now safe to poke our heads out and break some stuff down for you guys. But um, let's just start with, with that, Arif. I mean, it was just one of the more heartbreaking losses I think we've seen around here in a long time. You know, it was. And what makes it all the more heartbreaking is knowing that the Avalanche very much are the better team, were the better team, and deserve to win, rightfully so. But they didn't, and the season's over, and there's a lot of reasons why we'll get into that. But it sucks. I mean, it does suck, and it feels like it was forever ago, but it was a Friday, and here we are recording on a Monday, and it just feels like it's it's a surreal moment that this team that had all this expectation is suddenly not playing hockey anymore. At least we had fun doing it, though. You know, I think that's one thing you can kind of take from the series as a whole is, yeah, there were a lot of ups and downs. It was quite of a roller coaster of a, of, of a series. And, you know, we kind of talked about it throughout as we broke down in these podcasts, just the ups and downs of, of the games. I mean, there was a lot of ups and a lot of downs and that game seven was no different. Um, and, you know, I, it just stings so much to be this close to having... Uh, your team get out into the next round but in all honesty had they won that game seven what was the next round going to look like against Vegas you know a lot of guys are injured Francis is out Grubauer is out Hutchinson's your starting goalie Landeskog was going to be out for an extended period of time Calvert wasn't close Donskoy wasn't close Eric Johnson was not close as we said man the Avalanche are not looking for moral victories they're looking to win it all and there's only so much that you can go with Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCarr and Sam Gerrard playing 24, 27, and 29 minutes, respectively, per game. And there's only so far you can go with Michael Hutchinson as your starting goalie. And that's the reality of the avalanche this season is that it just wasn't, you know, there, there's a big factor of luck that goes into winning the Stanley Cup. And as we saw the entire regular season, this team just did not have it. As much as they scratched and they clawed and they fought for it, which is a discussion for another day of why Jared Bednar should probably win the Jack Adams trophy for bringing them this far and playing as good as they did in the regular season. But there's only so much you can do without eventually saying, it's just not our year. And it's not because of skill or will or the ability to beat these other teams. It's just a simple factor of losing that many players. It's it's near impossible to win with the amount of skill that they had out of the lineup. Absolutely. I mean, I go back to the podcast, the first one that you and I did when the COVID pause happened. And that was kind of my biggest point is this year, you know, if it's canceled, who cares? Because it never seemed like it was the Avalanche's year anyway. You know, they had such a struggle all the way up until the pause. We thought things were going to be different once the pause happened. But of course, um, you know, I think just... I just like you're saying, bad luck is is the biggest factor here. I mean, it's not even a a issue of injuries because it wasn't all of the same guys that were injured, right? I mean, it it was a couple of them here and there, but a lot of the guys that the Avalanche lost earlier in the season and right around the pause that we were kind of pushing the panic button. Oh no, this is going to ruin the season. Well, it wasn't even the same guys. So, um, you know, just a lot of bad luck. It was Francis, it was Calvert, but I mean, you know, the Landeskog injury was kind of a freak injury. The Eric, Eric Johnson, Johnson's a huge right, one. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's a big one. That's a big loss that I don't think we really recognize just how important that player is to this team because Kel McCars burst onto the scene because Ryan Graves pretty much appeared out of nowhere because Sam Gerrard was this big acquisition in the Matt Duchesne trade. We don't realize just how much Eric Johnson means to that roster. And uh, 
that's something that the Avalanche really have to consider and take into account because there is an expansion draft coming. Having somebody like Eric Johnson who either A, has to be protected or B, you can ask him to waive knowing very well that more than likely Seattle won't take him, but it allows you to go ahead and protect somebody like Ryan Graves because Eric Johnson in that top four unit, he fits. He's not just the spare part with Makar, Graves, and Gerard. Rather, he's the veteran. He's the one that's been there. He's the one that can play heavy minutes, and you can rely on him, and you don't realize how important he is until he's out of the lineup. Yeah, That's something that we learned real quick. Absolutely. You know, I think he obviously brings a lot to the ice, but where he's missed most is the locker room. You know, you lose a captain like that. Eric Johnson is, I, in my opinion, your vocal leader in that dressing room. Yeah, Landeskog does great. He does a lot of things, but I think Eric Johnson's kind of the emotion behind it, you know? So um, you, when you lose a captain like that, I think it does uh, a lot to um, the, the locker room itself. And I think that's kind of the biggest factor I think Eric Johnson um, not, not playing kind of had, had an impact on. Yeah, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that the players that we were worried about before the pause are not the same that were injured now. Number one, you're spot on. Number two, let's take a look at the guys that were out that Rangers game before the pause. It was Nathan McKinnon. That one speaks for itself. We don't have to explain what he did. Kale McCarr actually came back from injury that game and had three assists, and I he was out for an extended period before uh, you know, leading up to the trade deadline. We saw what he did in the playoffs. Burakovsky was out. We saw what he did in the playoffs. Nazem Kadri was out. We saw what he did in the playoffs. Miko Rantanen was out. We saw what he did in the playoffs. Those big guys all came back and they all did their part. But when you lose a guy like Calvert, and I know it sounds like a stupid thing to sit here and complain about because he's a fourth liner, but he's a damn important player. The Avalanche lost him against San Jose last year, and we saw what happened after that. When you lose your starting goalie and then your backup goalie, who, let's face it, Francouz was not playing good hockey, there is still a part of me deep down inside that says the dude isn't even injured. Uh, he was sitting for general body emotional distress for just playing like crap. <laughs> um, and, and I feel like there might be a factor of that. But losing Grubauer is huge considering the way he played to pull them into the playoffs last year the way he played against calgary the way he played against san jose and then to not have him in this series granted he started game one he surrendered three goals in the first period but that wasn't going to happen every game not with a goalie like that not with a goalie who's played those big moments and has done great at them in the past it's a lot to overcome. Eric Johnson's a lot to overcome. Donskoy, Nemesnikov was out for a little while. It is way too much to overcome all at once. And then losing Gabe Landeskog at the conclusion of that sixth game, forcing a game seven, and then to lose your captain and the guy that sort of holds it all together. Yes, he's not Nathan McKinnon, but he's still an important part of this team. It was like, what's next? You saw Sheldon Drives jump into the lineup and you're like, this is where we are. It's game seven and we have Logan O'Connor already in the lineup. Now it's Sheldon Drives. Nichushkin and Nemesnikov are both playing top six winger positions. What could possibly happen from here that's going to make us think the Avalanche are going to go on a longer run even if they win this game? I think, yeah, a lot of bad luck, of course, and the Phil Grubauer injury was huge, but what happened to Pavel Francouz, I think, is the biggest head-scratcher from that series. I mean, when Grubauer did go down, we saw what Francouz is capable of. I think there was a lot of confidence, especially coming out of my mouth, and then we see what he did, and suddenly, two games later, he's unfit to play. You know, I think there's just a, a lot more going on than... Um, you know, than any of us were led to believe. And, and it, it's just, I think, the biggest curious thing, how Francouz's game just all of a sudden fell off completely when he did so well there leading up to the pause. I mean, it's it's just bewildering to me. I don't know. It's, it's tough for me to, to get words out because I'm still just trying to process it all. I had a lot of confidence in Francouz going into the series when he had to take over, not just because of the way he played in the regular season, not just because of the way his career has gone with the Avalanche, even when Varlamov was still here as the number two and number one goalie with Gruby, but it's the fact that Francouz is 30 years old and in the KHL, he's been on long playoff runs and he's always played well. And I know it's not the NHL, I know it's not the Stanley Cup playoffs, but he was able to translate his regular season success into regular season success here, but his playoff success and his championship pedigree overseas and in the world championships was not able to convert to here, at least not this year. He very well could be a good playoff goalie in the future, but it didn't happen for him this year for whatever reason. And again, you're stuck turning to Michael Hutchinson. 
a hell of a story, a great guy. He deserved those games five and six victories. He damn near squeaked out a game seven victory. But you can't blame him. He played up to the level and standard of game that he can provide at the NHL level. He's not an NHL caliber goalie. And if he is, he's a backup that should be playing 10 to 12 games like he was in Toronto. And even at that point, it's you're not really, you know, you're not feeling too confident with him between the pipes. So the fact that it got to the point, think about, you know, let's let's erase the fact that it coronavirus happened and this pandemic happened and the NHL paused for four months and playoff hockey was happening in August and in September in a bubble city, in a hub city in Edmonton at Rogers Place in front of no fans. Eliminate all that from your mind some way, somehow, because that's a lot to overcome. On top of all of that, if you had told me back in October, the Avalanche would squeeze to the second, get through to the second round, be trailing three to one against a team that they deserve to beat, that they're better than, and they 100% can beat nine times out of 10, but this was the one time out of 10 that they lost. On top of all of that, they're down three to one in this series. They lost not only Grubauer, but Francis. They got a couple other injuries, and then Hutchinson comes in and forces a game seven. That's about as crazy as telling me that a you know once in a lifetime pandemic is going to happen and we're going to have to pause the season for four months. Hutchinson was acquired at the trade deadline, kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. We have a guy just in case one of the guys gets injured. We have a new backup goalie. He started three straight playoff games. That's nothing that any of us ever expected. And given Jared Bednar's comments after the game where he said neither Francis nor Grubauer were going to be ready for the foreseeable future, they were going to be out for an extended period of time. What the hell do you think Hutchinson was going to do against Vegas? Right. I mean, Hutchinson, I think, was the biggest reason that I was worrying throughout Game 7. You could just tell right out of the gate he wasn't feeling it. He wasn't seeing the puck very well. It would hit him, and he would lose it. He couldn't find the rebound, Um, and he was kind of doing that throughout the game. Luckily, it was the same thing going on on the other side uh, with Anton Kudobin, so I was feeling a little okay, but towards the end of the game, when things really got down to it. I think that's when you thought, okay, I think Michael Hutchinson's probably going to crumble right now. And that's where I want to go back to the trade deadline because there was a lot of smoke around the Henrik Lundqvist and Avalanche trade um, possibility. So I wanted to go back and kind of think how Joe Sackick is probably feeling during that series while Michael Hutchinson is trying to lead the way and just kind of maybe kicking himself a little bit saying, why didn't I try harder to get that goalie that we were looking for at the deadline? Hindsight is always twenty twenty. It's one of those things where you just don't expect it to get to that point. I mean, it's similar to, you know, let's work the other side of the equation. When the Avalanche acquired Vladislav Nemesnikov, who, by the way, great season, loved what he brought to the Avalanche. I don't know if he has a future on this team for many reasons, but he was a great pickup. And when he was brought in, he was brought in to be that third liner to play alongside Comfer, possibly Donskoy, because Nichushkin at the time was playing the second line with Kadri. He was brought in to be that depth forward. Suddenly, injury, injury, injury. The Avalanche go on that California trip right in the beginning of March. Nemesnikov's playing on a line with McKinnon scoring goals. And the hindsight worked the other way where it's like, wow, look at Sakic, genius. He went out and brought in this guy and he's a top-line winger. It's like, well, he wasn't expecting him to be a top-line winger. It just so happened to work out that way. He got lucky, Nemesnikov scoring goals. So on the other side of the equation, when you bring in Hutchinson, you're not bringing him in to be a starting goalie. You're bringing him in just for a little bit of depth. And considering the fact around the deadline, Grubauer was out, so you needed somebody to take a game or two off of Francis. And suddenly he's thrust into a starting goal, into a starting role. So, you know, you're Joe Sackick, you're competitive, you're obviously kicking yourself going, why didn't I try harder to bring in a Lundqvist or maybe a Georgiev or someone like that? But at the same time, you just cannot predict Grubauer and Francis both leaving the same series two games apart. You you can't predict that. Well, it almost feel like felt like Joe Sackick was predicting it. I mean, the, the point of bringing in that goalie was an insurance policy just in case exactly what happened happened. And unfortunately, the insurance policy they ended up with was, you know, low cut they rate. They took the bare minimum. Yeah, it, yeah was the, exactly. it was the bare minimum insurance rate. And then you run your truck into a pole and you're like, God damn it, I should have paid an extra hundred bucks a month <laughs> to get real insurance. Like it's it is what it is. It happened the way it did. Um the difference between Kudobin and Hutchinson in that game seven and in the series in general is number one, Kudobin is an NHL goalie. We know what he can bring. Dallas has just had this weird funk of going from a low scoring defensive team to a high scoring team that lets in a lot of goals overnight. It was weird. But 
Kudobin started to settle into his role. I don't have my phone in my hand. I'm not looking at any statistics, but something caught my eye at the end of that game seven. At the end of the first period, the first period, there was 30 shots and the Avalanche led two to one, 15 shots each team. Both goalies looked shaky. They both were giving up a lot of rebounds, like you said. The second period, the third period, and overtime, Colorado put 29 shots on Anton Kudobin and he stopped 27 of them. He settled into his spot. He settled into his role and he made the saves when he needed to. Second period, third period, and overtime, Michael Hutchinson faced 20 shots and surrendered four goals. He was not able to settle in. And again, this is not a knock on Michael Hutchinson. I ate a lot of flack and I had a lot of people coming at me last week on Twitter. Toronto Maple Leafs fans, love you guys to death. I grew up in Toronto. I know how passionate you guys are. But I had a lot of flack for giving Hutchinson credit for having the game he did in Game 5 because of the season he had in Toronto, because Babcock kept thrusting him into the second of a back-to-back and he pretty much wasn't really given a chance. But at the same time, he's not an NHL caliber goalie. That's something that we know. And, you know, they came at me as if I was trying to say that Toronto ruined him and Colorado made him a great goalie. That's not the situation at all. Anton Kudobin is an NHL goalie and he was able to settle into his role. He made four stops in overtime. The first shot Hutchinson saved was from Yoel Kivi freaking Ranta and he went in and he scored a hat trick and it was the one shot he faced in overtime 16 saves on 20 shots the last 47 minutes of that game after the first period that was the difference between your two goalies that was the difference between a goalie who was a established NHL goalie and somebody who's on the tail end of his career like Andrew Hammond when he was in Denver and probably shouldn't be playing an important game like this after that Game 5 win, I think we really gave a lot of credit to the defensive structure of the Avalanche as it was due um, because of how well they protected Michael Hutchinson. But at that moment, I was like, I don't know if this defensive group can do this for the rest of the series. Well, they managed to do it in Game 6 as well. And I'm like, all right, maybe they were they can you know ride this structure out and, and steal the rest of the series here. But I think that group was uh, a little bit more challenged in the Game 7, and they weren't able to keep such a tight window uh, closed on the offense of, of the Dallas Stars. But I don't want to pour more salt in the wound um, of, of this, but there are a couple more things I want to get into um, before we get to looking at the bigger picture, uh, things that I want to get into from that Game 7. And that's, uh, again, I think this team started late. And, you know, um, looking at the bigger picture of it, I think that's something we see pretty frequently. Um, I guess just what's something that the Avs have to do to fix that that problem? I mean, it's not a personnel issue. It's not a coaching issue. You know, it's not a, a specific person issue, but it is an issue. So, um, you know, I think that's something they have to figure out because we see it all the time. And suddenly when there is pressure on this team, they, they get that trying too hard feeling, right? You start squeezing your stick a little bit too tight and suddenly nothing happens. Like we saw with McKinnon feeling that pressure, he goes pointless. So late starts and um, just maybe feeling the jitters of a big game. I think those are two things they got to fix. How do they fix them? You got to get the right guys in the locker room. Somebody like Eric Johnson was missing, and that was a big piece. Somebody like Matt Calvert was missing, and that's a big piece. These guys are not proven winners, Johnson and Calvert. They've lost game sevens. Johnson last year, uh, Johnson in 2014, Matt Calvert in his days with Columbus has lost some big games. But these are the guys that you need in the locker room to calm the team down. I don't think the Avalanche have a goalie right now that can calm the team down. Somebody like Carey Price or Carter Hart, who's 22 years old, or Thatcher Demko, who's 24, with all the poise in the world. You need the right guys in the locker room. And I hate to do this because I'm going to sound like I'm a million years old, but that's the part of analytics that you can't really measure. You need the players in the locker room, you know, just spitballing at unrestricted free agency this summer, bringing in somebody like a Wayne Simmons to play on your third and fourth line, bringing in somebody like that, a heavy character guy who in the locker room can calm the guys down and really have that poise to take control. Those are the kind of guys you need. I mean, when the Avalanche were winning cups, those were everywhere, man. They had the Joe Sackicks and the Peter Forsbergs and the Adam Foots, and then they brought in Rob Blake, and they brought in before that Ray Bork. They had all of these guys where anytime things went south, these guys were there to calm them down. When the Avalanche, and then on top of all of that, you had this goalie who was a nutcase with the personality of an elephant and, and was there to do the exact same thing. Every single time they felt like they were under pressure, one of those guys in the locker room will step up and calm it down. Chris Jury, a future captain. Adam Foote was a future captain. Peter Forsberg was a future captain. It seemed like any time somebody moved on, they wore the C somewhere else. 
and all of those guys were in the Avalanche locker room at once. And that kind of reminds me of Chicago in 2010. They had Dustin Bufflin. They had Andrew Ladd, Seabrook, Keith, Taves, Sharp, Hosa. All of these guys were able to calm the team down whenever things started to, you know, unravel and the pressure started to mount. And I love Nathan McKinnon, but having Landeskog there is what keeps him in check. We saw it before. We saw it when he went at Jared Bednar in that game in Calgary back in 2019. Landeskog wasn't there in Game 7. Eric Johnson wasn't there in Game 7. Suddenly, McKinnon, Kadri, and Rantanen are the three guys wearing a letter on their jersey. And the letter is meaningless, but it goes to show just how much of leadership and poise and, and, that, and that quality of calming the team down was gone from the locker room in Game 7. Even though the Avalanche entered the first with a lead, they entered the second with a lead. You needed somebody there at the end of the third period. When you got a lead with 2 minutes and 30 seconds left or three minutes and 30 seconds left and gave it up 10 seconds later, you need a Ray Bork in the locker room to step up and say, we got this. And they didn't have I mean, that. Was, wasn't that the point of bringing in guys like Bellamare, Ian Cole, Jonas Donskoy, Andre Burakovsky? Those are all guys to, who to have been extent, there before. To an extent. Supposed to lead the way. So I think you got to be careful between, to an extent. You know, with a guy so, like Wayne Simmons. Um, I think you just got to be careful with the balance of what they bring in the locker room and what they can actually do on the ice. You need somebody who can produce. Yeah. And I agree with that. And, you know, somebody like Belmar, somebody like Belmar is a good example of what you, what you need because he does have that strong personality. He's worn the letter in, in Vegas and he wore it before that in Philadelphia and he wore it for a reason. He had an A on his Jersey in both of those places as an older guy, because he provides that element Donskoy and Burakovsky, I wouldn't say those are good examples. I would say those are guys that were brought in because they fit the mold of what this team is building. They weren't brought in for their experience. Ian Cole wasn't brought in because he won two Stanley Cups. He was brought in because he's a good depth four, five, six defenseman, and he's filled that role. Nazem Kadri was brought in to be a number two center, but he has a bit of leadership qualities to him. Granted, he's never won the big game, so he needs a little bit of that. Somebody like a Wayne Simmons... It's the stupidest award in the world, the Marc Messier Award. It's the award given to the best leader. Well, I used to think it was given to the best captain every single year until 2019 came around, and Wayne Simmons won it in a year where he started the year with uh, Philadelphia, and then he was traded to Nashville at the trade deadline, and he won the Marc Messier Award because all of his teammates were raving about how great a quality leader this kind of guy is, and you know... He, he last year he had I think it was 25 points or 28 points in 68 games which is just under a point uh, a 41 point pace it's the kind of guy that you can bring in on your third or fourth line preferably your fourth line to play alongside Belmar and Calvert because Nieto's a free agent and I think he's played his last game in Denver he's somebody you can bring on that line with Belmar he's somebody you can bring on that line with Calvert who has that leadership quality. And also at the same time, when you get thrusted into a hopefully third round series with Vegas next year, because you didn't get it this year, Wayne Simmons is the kind of guy that could step up to Ryan Reeves and say, try me. I've been all about, all about the Wayne Simmons thing for several years now. I would say about four or five years, I've been hammering the table that they should bring Wayne Simmons in. You could probably go way back in the old podcasts. And- way back way, way back to when Chris Stewart was here and him and Wayne Simmons grew up as together. That's how long I've been. Absolutely. And not only does he bring that leadership presence that you're mentioning, but what he brings is the thing I've been kind of complaining about the most, and that's toughness. He's freaking gritty and he'll get in the face of whoever he needs to and he's not going to get back down and I don't think he's going to get you know injured too easily so I think he kind of fixes the softness problem while also bringing in a leader I'm a little bit nervous as to his age you know like I said I've been wanting him here for about five years now that's a long time you know he's getting up there in age so um you know but I think I think you're on to something there I think that's definitely something they might need to address in the offseason is maybe you know keep Keep piling on the leaders because you can never have too many leaders in a locker room. Exactly. And yeah, and that's exactly my point with bringing up the 2010 Blackhawks. That's exactly my point with bringing up the 2000-2001 Avalanche, even the 99 Avalanche, is having all those leaders, you can't go wrong. I mean, the Avalanche brought in Mike Keane in that trade with uh, Patrick Waugh, and that was just another guy added to a locker room that already had a ton of leaders. So you can never go wrong with having that those kind of guys in the locker room, and that's something that Colorado was gravely missing 
at you know and in that moment um let's get into some more hypotheticals what they got to do in the off season here but before we do i got to tell you guys about DraftKings. um that's right because football is just right around the corner and it's time to kick off the football season and it's the 101st season in fact which is wow it's crazy to think that it's been around that long entertaining americans for so many years but DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook app is giving all users a no-brainer to start the NFL season if you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet head to the app store now because you don't want to miss this you finally have a reason to, to download DraftKings if you've been waiting have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points well for week one DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion you would still cash out your bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 points for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's what I call a no-brainer for sure. Plus, DraftKings is giving away up to $100 million in prizes for all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter the survival pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaway. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code MHS to get in on all the action for limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Yeah, well, that being said, you know, DraftKings kind of did me dirty there towards the last couple of games of the Avs and uh, the last couple Vegas Golden Knights games of that series when Vancouver made it interesting. So I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus from DraftKings, especially, um, you know, but Not a bad you know idea. I'm going to get back into it for that 101 spread. I mean, again, that's a no-brainer. You got to. So because of that, I'm going to pump more money into DraftKings. Brilliant move by then. Um, but, yeah, it's time to kind of move on, look ahead. Where do the Avs go from here? Because there's a lot of different options, especially when it comes to goaltending this year. Um, so let's start, since we were already kind of on that topic a little bit earlier, goaltending. Do they look into the trade and free agent market and goaltending, or do you think Pavel Francouz and Grubauer are still the guys you look um, to take them to the next level? You know, I always hear the idea that if a general manager is not out there trying to find ways to make his team better, no matter who he has on his team, he's not doing his job. So when Colorado came out of that 2018 playoffs and Varlamov had a great year and then got injured and Bernier came in in the playoffs and had a great year and then he got injured and he had a 10-game winning streak and all of this was going on, Joe Sackick still went out and traded for Philip Grubauer right when the summer began. And I remember Grubauer was linked to the Islanders. He was linked to the Flames. He was linked to all these teams. And Joe Sackick comes out of nowhere, picks up the Brooks Orpik contract and trades a second-round draft pick to pick up Grubauer. Basically, what I'm trying to get at is Grubauer is a good goalie and he can lead you to a you know through a playoff run. Francouz, who knows what his playoff production is going to be in the future, but he had a great regular season. Colorado's goaltending was not an issue this year until it became an issue in the playoffs. So if you're Joe Sackick and you want to come back with these two guys, I have faith in the fact that you went out and tried to find a way to improve on this position before making that decision. So the trade market is one thing. There's been a lot of talks about Matt Murray. Frank Saravalli mentioned from TSN that the Avalanche might be in on Matt Murray. There's been rumors that Darcy Kemper might be available because Arizona is looking to restock their cupboard. Obviously, they lost their draft pick next year. They lost their draft pick this year in the Taylor Hall trade. They don't have their second round pick this year. They don't have their third rounder because they traded it for Carl Soderberg. So you look at those options, but then you look at the unrestricted free agency market and you see guys like Jacob Markstrom, who may have lost his job in Vancouver now that Thatcher Demko has picked it up. You see guys like Braden Holtby. You see guys like Robin Leonard, who might win a Stanley Cup this year. And you say, why not dip into the free agency market? Why not look at these guys? Joe Sackick is not married to Grubauer. He's not married to Francouz. One of them's under contract for one more year, being Gruby. The other one's under contract for two more years at a low $2 million, being Francouz. Why not go out there and sign another goalie and then trade one of those two guys? 
it's very feasible. It's an option that Joe Sackick should look into, and I bet you anything he's going to. Because like you said, when he acquired Michael Hutchinson, he acquired him as an insurance policy because he knew something was up with his goaltending duo that he wasn't feeling too confident about. Maybe you go out and trade for Henrik Lundqvist, uh, you know, at half the salary, assuming the Rangers can uh, pick up the other half of the salary and roll with him for a year with, with maybe Grubauer. Whatever it is, there are options out there. If you ask me, Markstrom, Holtby, and Leonard all make sense. Given the term and the number that they bring in, you might want to take a look at that. The Holtby one just makes way too much sense because you already picked up Varlamov. You already picked up Philip Grubauer. Let's complete the trifecta of Washington goalies. At least this one's won the Stanley Cup, right? Yeah, I kind of love that. And of the names you've mentioned so far, I think that's definitely um, number one for me. Problem is, you know, what's tough for the trade idea is just the fact that your two goalies right now, their value is as low as it's been in a long time. I mean, you'd like to bank on the fact that they're going to return to the levels of play that we saw them doing earlier in the season. But if you trade them right now, every single team you try to trade them to is going to be like, well, we just saw what your goalies did. You really think you're going to get that much from us from for, for these guys? So that really makes it tough, you know, and, and I, that's I why like the idea. That's why I like the idea of going the unrestricted free agency route because when you right. go, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Exactly, and like, I like the idea of Matt Murray, but it doesn't seem feasible because you're not going to get what you what you want for the guys you have. So the the thing with Matt Murray, so I don't know what it is about this. So there's two goalies uh, that I feel like their their position, the team they're going to play for next year basically has been decided already in my brain for whatever reason. I'm going to give you the first one and then the second one, and if these are correct, you know. You can tweet me and say, good pick. The first one is Thomas Grice landing in Vancouver. Because with Thatcher Demko taking over the starting role, you still need a 1B goalie that can sort of be there to help him out. And with Sorokin coming in from Russia to play with Varlamov, Thomas Grice seems like a perfect option to make two and a half, three million in Vancouver. We don't care about Vancouver. That's their thing. But what that does is open up Jacob Markstrom. The second option is Pavel Francouz being the backup goalie to Tristan Jari in Pittsburgh. And the reason why I say that is because Jari's under contract for... Um, He's either an RFA or he's under contract for a low number. Matt Murray just made four and a half or four million, and he's going to come off the books. They can't, they they don't want to resign him to big money, uh, to a big money contract. So, what better goalie can you get for such a bargain of a price of two million dollars, where you can expect him to start twenty to thirty games and have a nine twenty save percentage? Enter Pavel Francouz. The thing with Matt Murray is, are you confident in Matt Murray being the guy that can win a cup in Denver? If if the answer is yes, you work a trade around Francouz for Murray. If the answer is no, which for me, I feel like there's better options in, in unrestricted free agency that are better than Matt Murray. Granted, if Matt Murray becomes the guy, I'm fine with it. It's at least an improvement. It's it's trying to do something and hoping that it works. And bringing in a guy that's won two Stanley Cups and is only 26 years old, it's not a bad move if you ask me. But there are better options. So now you go to the unrestricted free unrestricted free agency. Maybe it is Jacob Markstrom for a three-year deal around $20 million, you know, six, six and a half a year. Maybe it is someone like Holtby for three years around six, six and a half, seven million a year. Maybe it's one of those two older guys that are in their low 30s. You bring them in, suddenly you have a backup in Grubauer for a year because he's only got one more year. And then you take Francis, you look at Pittsburgh and say, hey, Pittsburgh, you just traded Matt Murray to Team X, let's say Toronto, because Kyle Dubas loves him from the Sioux Greyhound days. So let's say you traded Matt Murray to Pittsburgh. Now you have Tristan Jari and no backup goalie. Well, can I offer you a Pavel Francis for $2 million over the next two years for a third or a fourth round draft pick? Yes. Okay, great. Francis is gone. And suddenly you have Jacob Markstrom slash Braden Holtby, maybe even Robin Leonard starting with Philip Grubauer as your 1B option for a season until Grubauer leaves next year. And then you get this young kid from Finland named Justice Anunen, who I'm hoping by that year is, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. I see you're crossing your fingers here. I uh, can't see that on a podcast, but fingers crossed is he's ready. And then he comes in. So when you have somebody like that uh, coming in, you want your starting goalie to only be under contract for three or four years, which is why signing somebody like Braden Holtby or signing somebody like Jakob Markstrom for three years or four year or a four year deal is a great move because suddenly you're in a position like Nashville with Rene and Saros where it's like, yes, Rene's your big money starter right now, but you know in the next two to three years he's gonna take a hike because you got this young guy who's gonna take over. It's it's 
it just makes too much sense for Joe Sackick not to explore these options and do something with the goaltending position this year. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that was kind of the thought process going into having Philip Grubauer and Pavel Francouz was having that Pekka and UC Saros option, but unfortunately it just didn't pan out that way. And, I, and that's why the biggest thing they need to look at if they are looking at goalies in this offseason is, I think, is injury history. I mean, how many years in a row have we been plagued in Colorado by goaltending injuries? If you could find one who's not prone to injury, who doesn't keep tweaking the same injury over and over, that's the one you got to move on. Um, but you got to find somebody great. I think all good Stanley Cup teams have a great goalie in net, so it can't just be somebody mediocre. It can't be somebody who's going to flop on you in the playoffs and suddenly not be able to to carry the weight. I mean, it's it's hard for me to sit here and throw stones at Francouz the way I am because since he arrived in Colorado, I've been all about this guy. But what he showed in the playoffs is just tough to watch. And you, you, got, you got to keep in mind it's still his rookie year, but it doesn't seem like at his age he's going to have that X factor of greatness of being that Stanley Cup winning Con Smythe possible goaltender for, for a Cup winning team. And even if he is, you cannot wait for him because you are trying to win a Stanley Cup now. And that's the reality of it. When the Avalanche were winning Stanley Cups back in the day, no matter how many young guys they had, and we can talk about what this did for the franchise for the next 10 years following those those early years in Denver. But Pierre Lacroix went out and said, I cannot wait for Samuel Paulson or for Robin Regeer, for any of these young guys to come to, you know, to, to become NHLers. And, you know, Keith Ballard was another one. You want to know what the similarity between all these guys are? By the way, they were all drafted by the Avalanche and never played here. And you just didn't know that. Paulson went, won a cup with Anaheim in 07. Robin Regeer was his big shot defenseman with Calgary for so many years. Keith Ballard was a factor in Vancouver and in Arizona. But they were all traded at a young age. Tom Gilbert was another one. He was a, he was a respectable defenseman. These guys were all traded at a young age to bring in guys like Theo Fleury, to bring in guys like Raymond Bork, to bring in Rob Blake. Uh, we saw that, you know, Ryan Precht, I believe, was the guy that was part of that trade. Uh, maybe it was Ryan Precht. Yeah, it was Dead Ryan Marsh. Precht. Dead Marsh. Dead Marsh was, was the guy. Wasn't it both? It may have been both. Ryan Pratt came back. Dead Marsh went. Ryan Pratt came back. Yes, you're right. Sorry. I had a little brain fart there. I'm usually good with my avalanche history. Yeah, you are. So, September, so, you know. It's a weird time to be talking about the playoffs just ending. That's my excuse. Regardless, the Aaron point, Miller the fact, was part of that too. Sorry. Aaron, Sorry. Yes, Aaron Miller. Jared Allen was a prospect at the time. Uh, the funny thing is, like, my phone's right by me. We can Google it, but we're just throwing shit at the wall, see what sticks. It's, it's great. That's what the great part about doing a podcast is. But, you know, regardless, the point of the story is Colorado didn't wait for guys to develop. You do that when you're the 2016, 2015, 2014 Avalanche and you got this young McKinnon and this young, you know, Paul Stastny who was gone and this young O'Reilly and this young Duchesne. That's the time to do it. Now, the time is now. You make the moves now that win you a cup. So if bringing in three years of Braden Holtby can win you one, maybe two Stanley Cups, that's what you do. If bringing in Jacob Markstrom, Jakob Markstrom is what does it, you do that. Robin Leonard, you do it. You don't wait for these guys to become, you know, great players. You 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 change them out. You trade them away. And that's kind of the mindset Joe Sackick's going to have right now. I think there's five positions on this team that are going to change between this year and next year. And that seems like a lot, but I think that's what's going to end up happening. It's going to be your starting goalie. It's going to be that third-line spot where Matt Nieto was playing. It's going to be two middle six wingers, and it's going to be your 13th forward. So there's a lot that's going to change this year, and I think that the Avalanche have to be ready for those. Uh, you know, Avalanche fans have to be ready for the fact that this roster is going to look a little bit different next year, just like it did a year ago when Sakic made all his great moves. And you cannot wait for Francis to pick up his game. You have to make a move now that's going to bring you closer to winning. A I like how you mentioned earlier in the show the idea of Darcy Kemper. I think he'd be kind of a tough because I think Arizona loves him right now. They're very high on what he has to offer, but he also has kind of been injury prone and I'll, too. I'll, I'll cut. I'll cut you off. Yeah, exactly. I'll cut you off for a second and say he's injury prone. That's why I, I thought of him for five seconds before moving on to but the UFA. Sticking with Go Arizona, on. I think we got to talk about the biggest free agent that's going to hit the market this year, and that's Taylor Hall. I mean, how hard do you think the Avs have to go after Taylor Hall? Because in my opinion, they got to go all guns ablazing and see if they can sign this guy. It helps that Taylor Hall can witness firsthand what the Avalanche are made of and how good you know they, they are in real life, and he could probably really contribute to a lineup like that so if i'm joe sakic i'm doing everything i can to get taylor hall i agree 
I think what we learned this year with the Avalanche is that they have five really powerful forwards, being Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen, Kadri, and Burakovsky. They're missing number six. Number six could be Taylor Hall. It could be someone else, but they're missing that sixth guy. Having Giannis Donskoy or Nichushkin in the top six is not ideal. It gets the job done, and it could be something that you look at when an injury happens. But bringing in someone like a Taylor Hall could help with that. It could bring you that sixth forward that makes your top two lines as stacked as it can be. And, you know, you know, something that goes up against teams like Tampa Bay and Vegas. Vegas has one of the more powerful top sixes in the NHL with Stastny and Pacioretty and Stone and Carlson and Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault. You want to be able to go up against teams like that. You want to be able to play against the point and the Stamkos. And bringing in someone like a Taylor Hall will give the Avalanche that power. Granted, Taylor Hall might be looking for a long-term deal. At the same time, we we know what the lands the landscape is around the NHL right now. We know teams don't have a lot of money to spend, and we know that Taylor Hall has to decide. It's either going to a team that's rebuilding and can offer me a long-term deal, or it's to go to a short take a short-term deal, the deal that Panarin wouldn't take with the Avalanche for four years, and say let me go win a cup or two and cash in later. So it, the ball is entirely is in in his court, but. There's no doubt in my mind Joe Sackick is going to look at that option because, again, if you're a general manager, you have to be looking at every option and every possible way to make your team better. If you're not at least doing that, you're not doing your job. I don't want him to just look at the option. I want, at the end of the day, to be a lot like Panarin where they're saying Taylor Hall is strongly considering the the Avalanche and this other team. And I think if you're Taylor Hall, you you take a very serious look at Colorado even if you don't get a long-term deal, and that's for a couple reasons. It makes the most sense. He has struggled his whole career. He's been on teams that have underperformed you know at this age and at this point in his career he's tired of that he wants to win obviously he knows Colorado is a team where he can win he could definitely play with a lot of these skilled guys and 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 produce a lot but if he does go with to a team like Colorado who wins and then he wins well it's going to be easy for him to move on and get another strong contract after that you go to the other route, you know, you might not be able to to win and you might not succeed and you're not going to look that good around the league. You're not going to get another contract after that. So if he comes here, wins, oh, he's, you'll, you'll, you'll he's going to get a contract. great one after that. So I think you just kind of got what's more important to you right now, winning at this point in your career or just getting that long-term contract. I think you could still definitely find the same term after he wins a cup here. Nassim Kedz. No, it does. Nazem Kadri had nine goals and 18 points in 15 games. Burakovsky had seven goals and ten and uh, 17 points in 15 games in the playoffs. The fact of the matter is, the reason why I'm bringing up those numbers is because Kadri and Burakovsky are not point-per-game players, but they operate at a better than point-per-game in the playoffs with the Avalanche. If Taylor Hall comes into Denver, if he signs with the Avalanche, whether they win the Cup or not, which him signing makes them a very big contender considering everything else goes well and they don't fall into injury trouble and the goalie situations figured out. If you're Taylor Hall and you come in with the avalanche, whether you win a Stanley cup or not, you're going to put up a lot of points in Arizona. He was relied on way too much to be the guy. When he comes to the avalanche, he's Phil Kessel joining the penguins. You're not the guy anymore. You don't need to be the guy. Just go in, play your game, put up a bunch of points and go from there. Yeah. It's just like the McKinnon thing. I always say he's, always feels the pressure to perform. Well, you bring in a guy like Taylor Hall, you take off pressure on Nathan McKinnon, you also take off pressure on Taylor Hall because he's always kind of been that Nathan McKinnon for every team he's on. Well, suddenly you have two Nathan McKinnons, two very capable Hart Trophy candidates. You're taking pressure off of both and watch how both of their games flourish in that role. And some guy named Miko Ranton and playing the right wing on the same line as them. Like, how stacked of a line does that look like? And then Kadri and Burakovsky, you know, those two guys that I just talked about having these fantastic playoffs for the Avalanche. You throw Landeskog on their wing and suddenly you have a top six that can match up with any top six in the league. And then you have a JT comp for centering the third line. You have Donskoy under contract for three more years. You pick somebody up to play with them or you bring back an Echushkin or you bring back an Amesnikov or you sign a Wayne Simmons, Logan O'Connor. No matter what it is, your top six is set. And I think that that's the thing that's going to happen with the Avalanche. There's a third line winger position that's going to be filled. Notice I haven't mentioned Tyson Jost's name because I think his days with the Avalanche are done. Uh, Nieto, I think his days with the Avalanche are done. So you're going to have three winger spots available. They're going to be up for grabs, whether it's Nemesnikov and Nichushkin or whether it's three new guys. Or maybe it's Logan O'Connor in one of those positions. Granted, 
there's going to be three positions there up for grabs. I think there's going to be a defensive spot up for grabs because I don't think Zadorov's going to be back either. And then hopefully there's a goaltending spot up for grabs. So that's five positions with, on top of that, the 13th and 14th forward that are going to be up for grabs. And whether Logan O'Connor becomes a top 12er or he becomes a number 13th forward, there is still a lot of room for Joe Sackick to wiggle with this roster and not have to run it back and hope for something different. You can do the Tampa Bay thing where you bring in a Patrick Maroon, you can bring in a Blake Coleman, things like that, which is why we're mentioning Wayne Simmons. But at the same time, you have the cap space to make that big move or two big moves and bring in a big goaltending name and bring in a Taylor Hall and really go all in on winning the Stanley Cup while McKinnon is making $6.3 million for the next three years. Right. Like I said, I don't want Joe Sackick to just kick the tires. I want him to lock that baby up and drive it off the lot. So, um, you know, hopefully that's his number one focus and on the top of his to-do list. But looking ahead uh, at some other changes that are possible and that's not with any players, I want to look at that special teams. You know, it's kind of been an issue for quite some time. They went, uh, they kind of struggled mm-hmm. there in game seven against Dallas with, with the uh, penalty kill. So that being said, do you foresee and do you find necessary any coaching staff changes this offseason? If there is, it'll be Ray Bennett because he's your power play guy. And I know Nolan Pratt's your guy that takes care of the defensive unit as well. Um, I didn't think about that until you just mentioned it right now, honestly. And that's something that Jared Bednar and Joe Sackick are going to have to look at. There's a lot of times where when you make a coaching change like that, that isn't the head coach, but it's one of the assistants. That kind of means, hey, head coach, we're looking, we're breathing down your neck, you're next. But I don't think it's anywhere close to that with Jared Bednar. Uh, this isn't a John Cooper situation where, you know, he keeps coming back and hoping for something to change and hoping to win and, you know, constant disappointment. It doesn't feel like Joel Quinville in his last years with Chicago. So I don't know how you make a coaching change like that unless Jared Bednar is part of that decision, you know, without freaking him out into thinking that you're on a short leash. Because as soon as those rumors start to go out, it's not, gonna, it's not a good look. So granted that that is a good that that's definitely something that Joe Sackick and Jared Bender are going to have to consider. And it's something that we could see uh, happen. There could be a change there. And I didn't think about it, you know, before you had just mentioned it right now, but it's definitely worth a listen. And it's worth a look at. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of a, a big part of their role, right. Is managing those special teams. So if those are struggling, then perhaps there's time for a change. You know, I don't know how loyal or how, you know, friendly Jared Bednar is with either of those two coaches. So, you know, it might, it is what it is, man. It's 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 a cruel league, and that the reality is, if you don't have the results, you're you're gone. Right, right. Well, that's the last thing I wanted to get into uh, regarding the Avalanche and kind of heading into the off season. One thing I did want to touch on was just kind of um, the the COVID Cup. Right now, I can go back to hating on this pl- playoffs and thinking it was a terrible idea. I feel a little bit duped for getting this pumped for the COVID Cup, but you know, I, in my personal opinion, looking back, I feel like it kind of is the reason that the Avalanche are out and kind of ruined it for all of us here in Denver because you know you look you don't you don't I don't think Dallas comes back and scores that that game tying goal after Nemestikov you know 10 seconds later if that's in the Pepsi Center in front of a rowdy loud Avalanche crowd and again going back to what I was saying with the late start of this team I don't think they start late in a game 7 if they come out to a Pepsi Center crowd who's roaring and screaming in their ear rather than, you know, just kind of the neutral site that's going on right now. I have to disagree with that for a couple of reasons. Um, I'm going to go on the other side of the spectrum and say that we have been recording these podcasts since late July, since mid-July when the Avalanche were in their second training camp and then started playing on August 1st and Kadri scored this buzzer beater and then they played Vegas for winner take all and then they played the Arizona series and then this Dallas series and the injuries and Fact of the matter is the content has been the game on the ice and not COVID, not positive tests, none of that. The NHL did an exceptional job. The NHL made it feel like while going through these August games, it was actually April when it wasn't. I keep talking to you about this summer ahead of off season, and then I realized today's Labor Day. Today's Monday, September 7th. Training camp should have been starting in a week and a half. Instead, the Avalanche are going to be starting in off season in early October. The NHL did a great job at that. I understand the Pepsi Center thing and the Pepsi Center factor. None of the Avalanche players cared about that. When Nazem Kadri was asked, and I mentioned this in the past, about scoring that buzzer beater and how different it felt without the crowd uh, there to basically explode at the thought of a goal, he said, 
honestly, I didn't even think about that. It was a question from Greg Wyshynski, and he said, I didn't even think about that until you just mentioned it because the players were so invested in their game that they weren't thinking about all that other stuff. And yes, it would have helped. Would Dallas have tied it up if it was at the Pepsi Center? Who knows? But in 2014, the Avalanche blew a game against Minnesota at the Pepsi Center. So at this point, I don't know what to believe. I just think in Game 7 of the second round, the crowd uh, definitely plays a bigger factor and definitely gets in the head of the opponent. I mean, Nazem Kadri could say that, but that was back in the round robin, wasn't it? So uh, I think the, the intensity of the games, I think you, you definitely noticed some stuff like that. And I don't think that would have happened in Colorado. Could we... Could we, could we go back to the 2014 series just for a second? I hate to keep bringing it up, but the Avalanche and Wild are exchanging goals, just like the Dallas and Avs did on Friday. And I believe it was Eric Johnson that gave the Avalanche a 4-3 to lead off a pass from Joey Hishin, if I remember correctly. And we all remember Eric Johnson in that series talking about how much he hates these guys. He hates this Minnesota Wild team. And he's a Minnesota kid. He he played for the Gophers, I believe. And And... He's somebody that wanted to win that series. And it was like, how fitting would it be for Eric Johnson to score that game-winning goal? And then with six minutes left, Darcy Kemper gets injured. And Ilya Brzgalov takes back over the net with six minutes left in Game 7. And you're like, that's it. This is the game. The Pepsi Center is behind them. Brzgalov is back in net. This Darcy Kemper guy who was stymieing the avalanche is no longer playing. Suddenly, Minnesota Wild ties it up, goes to overtime, they win. It, it all went away that quick. It was a snap of a finger, and everything changed. So Just let me be bitter. I don't know what Arif. would have happened. I just want to be bitter about the COVID Cup. I, I, let me I know. do it, okay? Look, I, I, I just I hate the nickname, the COVID Cup. There's no positive test. It's just working really well. It sucks that we're not there in person. It sucks that there's no Pepsi Center crowd and no energy. But whoever wins the Cup this year is not going to feel like it was any different. They earned well, it. Well, I'm not sure if you got to hear uh, that Steve Barubi interview after St. Louis was eliminated from the playoffs, but he kind of alluded to the point that some of my players who had COVID didn't exactly play um, up to the levels that I was expecting of them. And I'm kind of curious if that's the same case league wide, you know, we don't know who had it, but we do know that there were a few players here and there that probably could have done a lot better and probably had more to give, um, you know, if they were really a hundred percent. So more speculation here from me, but after hearing Barubi's comments like that, you can't help but, you know, draw comparisons to the avalanche. I do got to correct you real quick so you don't hear about it on Twitter. You said Steve Barubi. It's Craig Barubi. Craig um, Barubi. And I, I I hate that I have to do this too, but I'm, I'm pretty good for, sure. I'm good for at least four <laughs> errors a pop. Yeah. So it's hard. I, and I'm pretty sure it was Doug Armstrong. It was their GM that had that presser. It may have been Barubi, but it was one of the two, and I agree. But the reason why that's not a factor with the avalanche is because this team never once used that excuse as something that, you know, was a valid reason for not winning. They never let the COVID Cup thing become a storyline. They never let this Hub City become a storyline. They went there, they owned it, they did it. And we've been talking about this since July. The Avalanche did not care about this pause from March 12th's pause until the training camp on July 12th and then going into July 13th. It was as if that was a day apart. It wasn't as if it was four months apart. They came back with the same mindset and the same mentality of we're going to win this thing. I just think, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses either. I just think those are two factors to consider. I I mean, we know what this uh, tournament was going to be and it is what it is. Uh, So, you know, there's going to be a winner and it's going to be great for them. But I just think there are some factors that need to be considered that, you know, maybe made this a little bit different and maybe are a reason to not freak out too much that, you know, the home team didn't get it done because there are just some other things going on that made it irregular. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to say this one last thing so we can put a bow tie on that Dallas series. Dallas is up one nothing. Hudobin had a 25-safe shutout against Vegas. I don't know how. I don't know why. I'm still confident Vegas is going to win that series. But to put a bow tie on the Colorado and Dallas series, I will just say this. Dallas needed to win that series more than Colorado did. Because if Dallas lost that series with an aging team after blowing a 3-2 to two series against the Blues last year and blowing a 3-1 to one series against the Avalanche this year, it would have been the end of that team as we know it. Their guys are aging. Ben was a non-factor. Sagan was a non-factor. Radulov was in and out of the series. He ended up being a huge factor at the end. They needed that win more than the Avalanche did. It sucks that the Avalanche lost, and I'm not trying to make it any easier. Nathan McKinnon, the the the, the shot that they got of McKinnon on the bench after that Game 7 goal went in was one of the most gut-wrenching things I've ever seen. 
and he let me have it in the post-game press conference uh, when I asked him to explain what happened on that tying goal, and he told me to just go back and watch it and said, I don't know what the heck you want me to say. Um, and I don't blame him for reacting like that. The emotion was getting to him. But nobody in their right mind thinks the Avalanche lost that series, and you know this is the end of their window. This is only the beginning of their window. They have many more years to go. Dallas needed that win more than the Avalanche did, and as much as it hurts to hear that, it is the truth. So Dallas needed to advance more than the Avalanche did there. Um, with that being said, it would have been great to see the Avs advance. But also with that being said, if Hutchinson was going to be our goalie against Vegas, let's you know lose to Dallas and just get it over with. And I personally, if this team is going to be as great as we all hope it's going to be, I'd rather their first cup of many come in a little bit more of a regular you know, in in air quotes. That that is something I will that that's something I will definitely agree with. Yes. Awesome. Well, I guess that's a good point to uh, start to wrap this up and get to our Twitter fan highlight of the week, which I think you've got a good one for us, Eric. I do. So, I've been making jokes all week about how similar this Avalanche team is to the Toronto Maple Leafs and how leafy it is for the Avalanche to lose a game seven two years in a row just like toronto did to boston and you know looking back at 2014 just like toronto always does at 2013 uh having nazem kadri having michael hutchinson between something about it was very toronto maple leafs and i saw this tweet that sort of puts that all into a bow for me and it's a tweet from you can edit that out sorry and it's a tweet from an account called Tic Tac Tomar. Tic Tac, T-O-M-A-R, and his name's Omar. And he says, The Colorado Avalanche fought back from a 3-1 to series deficit to lose game to seven in overtime to a playoff debut hat trick via Yoel Kiviranta. That's too leafy for my liking. And he is spot on, man. I'm not saying the Avalanche or the Toronto Maple Leafs because they're not. Uh, I'm also not saying that whoever the hell that crazy Leafs account is that tweeted that the Maple Leafs are better than the Avalanche, he can go to hell. I'm not even going to give him the light of day. I saw you tweeted about it today. Um, but it is it is a little funny because Toronto came back from 3-1 to one against Boston in, 20, in uh, 2013 and had a lead in Game 7 late only to blow it and lose in overtime. And then they had him again in 2018 and they blew it in Game 7. And they had him again in 2019 with a 3-2 to two series lead and they blew it in Game 7. And Colorado has played different teams each time. But the similarities are there. Nazem Kadri's lost way too many Game 7s that somebody should have lost by the age of 29. Poor guy. Michael Hutchison being in net is just a bow tie on it. It was very leafy. Shout out Tic Tac Tomar. Um, I'll tweet you this. Hopefully that hopefully you can pick up on our podcast and just learn how miserable it is to be an Avalanche fan and how similar it is to be a Maple Leafs fan. Well, the fan. biggest difference, though, I think, is this is the first year that we really had expectations for Colorado, where in years past they were kind of exceeding what they were supposed to be doing anyway. So they've only really blown it, in my opinion, one time, whereas the Leafs, like you just said, have blown it three Closer to three times. So I think it's still a little too early yeah, to get and too crazy about that. The last time either team has been to the conference finals, this is where it gets even crazier, is in 2002. And I remember that year I had just moved back to Detroit from Canada. Uh, I had just moved to Detroit from Toronto. And I sat there and I thought, man, Colorado beats Detroit here. And Toronto beats Carolina here. My dream Stanley Cup final awaits. Lo and behold, Colorado lost. Toronto lost. It was Carolina versus Detroit. It sucked. Detroit won. They got to sit there and cheer all up, you know, Washington, uh, all, all up the Jefferson Avenue in downtown Detroit. And I had to sit there and watch it from home and drive through it and just sulk and go to school the next day and hated it because the Red Wings won the Stanley Cup and I was living in Detroit at the time. So it is a little weird that neither team has been to the conference final since then. Uh the difference between the Avalanche and the Maple Leafs now is whenever Toronto blows a series, they go into the summer saying, what can we do to make cap space? And the Avalanche should go into the summer and say, how many Taylor Halls do we sign? Because we have all the cap space. So there's your big difference. That's where it stops. I'm sorry, Tic Tac Tomar. Uh, hope you can catch some comic relief from that one. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, it, it, they both teams have a lot of promise. Both teams have a lot of changes, I think, that need to be made this offseason. But I think both are trending in the right direction. I'm excited to see them and, you know, who, who knows? Maybe one day that is a Stanley Cup final for the ages, I would say. It would be really cool. Uh, the Stanley Cup final that I would love to see is still Colorado versus Detroit 
for many personal reasons and for the fact that that rivalry existed for so long. I would want nothing more than to fly between Denver and Detroit and cover Stanley Cup final. But you know what? Detroit's going to need about three, four years till they're ready. So let's, let's win two or three cups before we get there and make the that week, one the Which I believe cup. is also under your control here, Arif. And I think we're going with Gabe Landeskog, of course, the captain, giving a little bit of words of uh, encouragement after that Game 7 loss. A very disappointing end to a crazy season. Heartbreaking not being able to be out there with the guys for Game 7. I want to thank all of you as faithful for your support all year and look forward to playing in front of you again. We'll be back. First comment, three big old red hearts from Nikita Zadorov, who may or may not still be his teammate next year. We will see, but shout out to Gabe Landeskog. He's been with this team for as long as I can remember. He was once given the captaincy as a 19-year-old from Milan. Hey, Duke, remember that guy? Uh He's been around forever. He's he's seen this team through many different eras of uh, who the core is and Varlamov and Duchesne and O'Reilly and Stastny and these guys coming and going and signings like Boschman and trading for Brad Stewart and all this crazy stuff and Patrick Waugh coming in and quitting on the team. And, you know, a lot has happened since since uh, Gabe Landeskog has, has, has signed or was drafted with the Avalanche and eventually signed a long-term deal in 2013. So shout out to him. He deserves to win more, you know, as much, if not more than anyone on that team. And uh, he says they'll be back and they'll be back. I, I think they'll be back with a better goalie. And I think they'll be back with a Taylor Hall. They'll be back with a Wayne Simmons or someone like that. And they'll be back with a vengeance and stay healthy and win a cup. Interesting to me that it took Landy a couple days to get that tweet sent out. And I think that's kind of how it is for all of us. That's just what hockey does to us. It took us a couple yeah. days to feel ready to podcast again. Because when your team loses and gets bounced from the playoffs, man, does it hurt. It stings. And it's even worse when you have expectations for them. So, you know, it, it was tough for us to watch. It's got to be even tougher on Landy, who should have a role in the game, but has to watch from the sidelines. Yeah. And. I know we all remember 2014, and I'm going to go a little off topic here, when there was that picture of Ryan O'Reilly in his little corner stall with his hand in his hair, head down, in his gear after that loss to Minnesota. And then he had his interview where he was just completely distraught and broken. That picture was something that lingered with me for four years until the 2018 Avs made it back to the Stanley Cup playoff without O'Reilly, obviously. That picture is something that's lingered for a really long time. I'm going to mention it again. The view of Nathan McKinnon just getting completely gutted like his heart like was pulled out of his chest the moment that Kiviranta scored that game-winning goal is something that's going to linger for 12 months and is something the Avalanche are going to rally around. It's very reminiscent to the Red Wings back in the day before they became a franchise in 94, losing to San Jose in the first round as a number one seed. In 95, losing the Stanley Cup final to New Jersey. In 96, getting clocked by Claude Lemieux in the Avalanche before winning the Cup in 97. But it all came full circle. All of those memories and horrors and, and curses of those past years all came full circle in 97. Nathan McKinnon's been in three Game 7s now. 2014, they lost. 2019, they lost. Obviously, with that crazy offside play with Landis Gog and Colin Wilson scoring. 2020, we, we, we just spoke about the game that happened there. That side of McKinnon on the bench is going to stick for a really long time, and it's going to be a reason why the Avalanche are going to rally. And I think that's the biggest part of that image is the fact that he's on the bench. You know it's got to sting so much for yeah. a guy like that to be on the bench when the goal happens rather than being on the ice and you know maybe even having a hand in it so uh yeah it's tough to watch our guys kind of feel that way and get upset I, I'm I don't think you should get too rattled about him um you know getting snappy with you he gets that way when he loses and he he's just a, it's the heart in his chest you know what I mean oh I loved I absolutely loved it I absolutely loved it maybe I should have worded my question differently some have told me it was a good question some have told me not so much I don't care about that point. I just love the fact that he wears his heart on his sleeve like that. If you haven't seen the clip, I'll tweet it out uh, when we release this episode so you can take a look at it then. Um, but yeah, man, he he had a hell of a playoff. 25 points in 15 games, a point in the first 14 before that game 15 where he was held off the score sheet and the Avalanche lost, obviously. Um, the dude is, he he just turned 25 six days ago. He's in the, like, in the middle of the prime years of his career. Let's hope he wins the Hart Trophy in a couple of weeks when it's announced. Let's hope he wins the Ted Lindsay. He definitely would have won the Conn Smythe if the Avalanche won the Cup. 
And uh, this is just the beginning for Nathan McKinnon. As crazy as it is to say that, this is just the beginning. He's going to do some spectacular things over the next three to five years. And that brings us to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week presented by DraftKings. I'm going to zip right through them since we're already running pretty long. I know we don't want to, you know, rekindle all the feelings of uh, losing Game 7 again. Um, but, you know, we got to touch on some of these things. But star number three, we're going to Landy. Already know why, just being the captain of this team and for having the heart. Yep. And I really feel bad that he had to miss that last game. And crazy to hear the reports that there was a good chance he was going to miss the rest of the playoffs anyway. So when we thought it was just going to be a minor cut, like when you scrape your leg on a table, uh, it turns out he got messed up by that. And, that was uh, a real leg, sharp table. His leg was about to fall off, like I thought. Star number two, we're going to Nathan McKinnon. Obviously, what he did in these playoffs was nothing short of amazing, and it just stings to, uh, like you said, watch that face he made after that goal. I got to ask, who's worthy of being a star ahead of Nathan McKinnon? I am intrigued. Well, this one's easy, Arif, and that's to every single one of our listeners out there Hockey Mountain High, because without them, this would suck. We'd just be talking to each other, and that's no fun. I like talking to you and then having our listeners come back and tell us, what they think about what we said. And, you know, I even like when they give me some shit for the uh, multitude of errors that I make every podcast. Like last podcast, I kept saying the season rather than the series. And going back to listening to it was driving me nuts. So I'm sure I drive a lot of you guys nuts out there too. Thanks for hanging with us for another season. And and also thanks to you, Arrow, for joining me this year. It's been a blast. You've added a lot to this podcast. And I love doing it with you, and I, most of all, I love doing it for our listeners. So shout out to the listeners, star number one. And, yeah, what do you got to say? I mean, exactly what you just said there at the end. Thanks for hanging with us for another season. No, no, thanks for hanging with you for another season because I have been dreaming of this opportunity since I was about 15 years old, and I finally got it. Shout out to Mile High Sports and Nate Lundy. Shout out to everybody that's helped me. This is year one of 10 20 30 40 years in this industry for me i'm not going anywhere i hope you guys love my coverage because i really want to grow with this fan base i want to be somebody you guys are used to you guys as my listeners as my readers are the reason why i'm able to do this this is just year one of many years to come it's my dream job and it's only the beginning and uh, i can't thank you guys enough for listening i can't thank you guys enough for being the reason why i felt it was necessary to go out and spend a hundred bucks on a new mic and and for me to sit here and and talk to you and, and look at your lovely face on skype for two hours every single week uh it's one of my favorite things to do i love this city i love this team i love this uh, market I love this industry, this business, and all the friends I've made along the week or along the way. Shout out to all of you guys. This is just year one of many more. To right. Come. I, I think I tweeted out saying that it's the listeners and the followers that make it all worthwhile. Well, that's no lie. You know, we're not getting rich off what we do here. We do it because I love interacting with all the Avs fans, and I love being a guy that the Avs can look to for some solid content. Sometimes a little bit biased. I was going to say unbiased, but I can be a little bit biased here and there. But either way, it's a blast doing it for you guys. And I hope you guys enjoy our podcast as much as we enjoy doing it for you. Yeah, and, and, and you you know, you know nailed it on the head there. It's, it's, it's great to do this. You know, We do it because we love this game. We love this sport. And we want to be able to provide that content, which is why I will say that this may sound like it's one of those things where we'll see you later, but it's not. We will still be podcasting every three, four, five, six days. We will still be you know, churning out these episodes. We want to interact with you guys. I don't know how long this off season is going to be, if it's going to be September, October, November, if it's going to be September, October, November, December, January, February, who the hell knows? The world, the world might end by the time we get to November. I don't know at this point. It's 2020. <laughs> it's been a hell of a ride, but these episodes are not stopping now. We are going to continue to, you know, churn these out for you. We hope you guys could listen along the way. Any feedback you may have, please and i know some of you have already done it send me some dms tweet me i love that you guys are doing that i'm receptive to the criticism and if it's simply good job i'll take it and if it's you guys suck change a b and c i will really consider changing a b and c so shout out to you guys you guys are why we do this but at the same time we are not stopping this is just a thank you for listening to the 2019 2020 avalanche coverage of our podcast hockey mountain high is going to continue to be your go-to avalanche podcast and we are not stopping here it is only the beginning couldn't have said it better than myself so we're going to leave it right there for Arif, i'm jj hockey's for everyone we got you
I like that ending.